Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography and the Apple ecosystem. I'm Kirk McElhern. I'm Jeff Carlson. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. Since Jeff and I started this podcast more than a year ago, isn't it? More than a year ago. Happy birthday. Happy, well, belated happy birthday. <laughs> um, we both had some interesting experiences. Recently, I got to meet and interview Michael Kenna. Um, a while back, I got my portrait shot by Martin Parr, and you had an interesting experience a couple weeks ago. We're going to talk about that in this week's episode, because you did the thing that I would never want to do. You were an <laughs> event photographer responsible for documenting, was it a week-long event? It was a week-long event. It was a, it was a design conference here in Seattle, the Creative Pro Week 2019 conference. So it was June 10th to 14th, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. That's five days. Now, I can imagine two days, and after two days, you're really tired, and, and your <laughs> Apple Watch is like going around three times on, on the move ring. Um, but five days, that's a long time. It was a long time. The idea was I would shoot all of Monday intensely and then sort of do pickups the rest of the week. The reality was I was there most of the time, and shooting to make sure that I caught as much as I could. And so I, I did end up shooting a lot more than I expected, but I did that by choice. So that's were they, Were the speakers all photographers, designers? What were they? Because I'm, we're going to put a link in the show notes to the website, and I'm looking at the mm -hmm. headshots on the page of all the speakers, and it's really interesting because some of them are just standard headshots, and then others are a bit weird. Like there's one where the guy has half his head cut off, Another one where someone's holding a cat up half in front of his face. Um, are these photographers or other types of designers? There are other types of designers. So this is an event that covers basically the Adobe suite, but um, it's, it's mostly geared for designers. So people who use InDesign, Photoshop, uh, Illustrator, people who are, are you know, doing like the, the professional production of magazines and ad campaigns and that sort of thing. Right, so not photographers. Not photographers, yeah, yeah. Okay, people that work with photographs to make them look better. Right. A lot of those people, I'm sure, are photographers, but that's not what they do. Exactly. So I guess the first thing to talk about is the gear, and this, of course, the podcast where we don't talk about gear. Um, <laughs> but I, I think the point here is the type of gear that you brought, not the specific brands and specific lenses, um, because there, there are two considerations. The first is that you need to have enough to take photos in every situation where you're going to need to take photos. But the second is you need to survive carrying this stuff around. Yes, definitely. So when we were talking to Mari Reed about bird photography, sometimes gear really does make a difference. And this type of event photography, gear absolutely makes a difference for a couple of reasons. First of all, the lighting in conference halls, conference rooms is typically terrible. So we were in the Westin Seattle, great venue, big halls. Good food? Good food, actually, yeah. And I will point out this conference, they really do well with the food. You get breakfast and lunch. And I'm not here to shill for next year's conference. but No, but I've been at a number of things like that, particularly um, book uh, festivals. And it's really important to have a good environment for the people who are guests yes. in terms of food, um, in terms of, you know, alcohol with dinner, um, you know, a place where they're not too disturbed and things like that. So th it is important. Yeah. And it makes the attendees happy. And also from the photography side, 
remembering that, you know, all these people paid a lot of money to attend. And so that also brings in a bunch of considerations for where you shoot and how you shoot. And we we can get into that in, in a minute. I'll go back to gear. So yeah. um, low light is the big problem. And when you're in a room like that, you probably don't think that the lighting is terrible because you can see the speaker. The speaker has some sort of a spotlight. They had uh, dark drapes with some blue uplighting on the drapes behind them to give sort of a, a nice backdrop, a big screen showing what they were presenting. And then you have the conference room itself, which was typically fairly well lit in terms of being able to see. It's not like it was super dark, but that is what your eye is perceiving. Now, a camera sees that a lot differently, and a camera sees all of that as pretty much just a dark, dark area. So, as we've mentioned before, I recently bought a Fuji X-T3, upgraded from my X-T1. And in large part, I had been looking at doing this for a while, but when this opportunity came up, that was the thing that pushed me over, because I needed something that would have much better ISO low-light performance. And the X-T3 does that. The ISO improvement and also autofocus. So what ISO were you shooting at usually? I was shooting usually between ISO 3200 and 6400, which is quite a bit. Yeah, the native ISO is 160 on that camera. Yeah, I actually started at 6400 just to try to make sure that I was getting plenty of light because the other key part of this is I wanted to make sure I had a fast enough shutter speed that I wasn't blurring everything out. You weren't using auto ISO. Well, I was using auto ISO, but, but I had to configure it specifically. So on the Fujis, the auto ISO has a feature where you can set a maximum ISO and you can also set like a minimum shutter speed. Right. And so I had set it up so that my maximum ISO would be ISO 6400 and the minimum shutter speed would be 1 160th. And that would give me enough uh, speed so that I can capture action and enough uh, light sensitivity to be able to do that. And that sounded like a really great idea. I discovered, after the fact, that the camera will try its hardest to stick to that 1 160th. But if it doesn't, if it can't get a good exposure from it, it'll knock down the speed. So there were some cases where it was shooting 1 160th, 1 150th, and that was too 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 slow for me to be hand-holding in a dark environment. What aperture were you using? Uh, I was using mostly shooting at 2.8. Wow, okay. Yeah, so also going back to gear, I realized that, that the lenses that I own would not work for this. And so I rented a Fuji... 50 to 140 millimeter f2.8 and a 16 to 55 millimeter also f2.8. Those are the good expensive Fuji zoom lenses. Um, yes. The 16 to 55 is like twice the price of the kit lens, which is 18 to 55. Yeah, exactly. I think I think the 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 50 to 140 is probably like a 1200 or 1600 yeah. dollar lens, yeah. and it costs that much because no matter where you're zoomed, you're getting f2.8 through the entire range. Right. And even though the, there were some times when I would go up to like maybe f4, um, I mostly kept it at f2.8 because I was either shooting a speaker by him or herself. And so I didn't really need to worry about depth of field. 
Or, Particularly if you're far enough away. Exactly. Or if I was shooting the, the audience, I wanted that depth of field. I wanted that, you know, I wanted to be able to focus on, on one person yeah. and have a uh, soft background. Soft background, <laughs> yes. Blurry, soft yeah. background, buttery yeah. background. Yeah, exactly. I think I probably would have benefited having like maybe an f1.8 lens for something like that. But, you know, I only have four arms, so. <laughs> yes. Well, so how many cameras did you have? Just one? I had two. So there is the thought that I could have just been swapping out lenses and that sounded crazy to me. Not just that. My, my first thinking is there's something's going to go wrong with the body. If I've only got one camera, the body's going to go wrong. If I have two, then nothing's going to happen. Exactly, exactly. So what I did was I, I rented uh, the two lenses and I rented another X-T3 body. And that way I had basically each lens on its own body and I could just grab one as I need it, which I found to be extremely helpful because there were some times when I wanted to very quickly you know, switch from some, a more wide angle to something telephoto depending on what was happening in the room. It seemed like it was a lot of stuff. Although I will say after an hour or two, it felt totally comfortable. Yeah. At first, you're kind of worried because they're both heavy. Um, are the straps going to work when you turn? Are you going to bump into something? Yeah. Um, and then after a while, you, you feel more comfortable and you can quickly just grab one and put it up to your eye and then let it go and grab the other one. That's exactly it. And I'll point out the straps were a consideration, too, because there are rigs that you can get that I think people who are full-time event photographers have that there's like um, – it's almost like a little shoulder harness and it has like separation so that both of the cameras hang independently down at your side so they're not crossing over. I didn't go with that because it seemed like it was just going to be too much. And so I had two separate straps. So for the big telephoto, I had it over my shoulder and down on my left side so that it was mostly just, just hanging there. And then for the other camera, I had just over my right shoulder and could grab each one and even when I was moving around and crouching down and all of that, they never really got in the way. Okay, so we've got the gear. Well, we've got most of the gear. Uh, what about SD cards? Did you have a pocket full of SD cards? So the X-T3 has two slots, so that's four slots total. Yes. So I had a pair of 64-gig cards in one camera and a pair of 32-gig cards in the other because I had the 32s. The 64s I bought with my new body. And I was shooting RAW plus JPEG, so all the JPEGs went to one card, all the RAWs went to another. For the most part, that served me pretty well. On Monday, which was my really long day, I did end up having to pop in another 64-gig card because I, I filled one 64-gig card of RAWs. Yeah. And that... They're about three times the size on the X-T3 of yes. the JPEGs. And so... I never really ran out of space. I probably came close. I think if I had been even more intense for the rest of the week, it would have been nice to have another pair of 64 gig cards, but I made do. Okay, let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about all the rest that's involved in shooting an event, getting people to smile, uh, to not look like they're asleep, um, not getting in the way. And this is actually quite complicated. 
So we've gotten the gear out of the way. And Jeff and I, before the show, we agreed that we have to warn you about something. If you are not a professional photographer, and if someone asks you to shoot an event, you should probably say no, because <laughs> there's a lot of responsibility here. Um, if someone asks you to shoot a wedding, run away, because oh imagine gosh. you go to shoot a wedding and something goes wrong. You've only got one camera. You lose your SD card. You know, this is the, the, your, your friends will hate you forever. So just say no. I have a, a very short story. I went to a wedding once. It was a very low-key affair, not very many people. And my friend was like, hey, are you going to bring your camera? Can you take some pictures? I was like, yeah, absolutely. They already had a photographer set up, but she just asked if I could you know, maybe take some pictures off to the side. I was happy to. I did that. There was no pressure. And their other photographer, he did his thing. Uh, I think he was shooting film, perhaps. A few months later... She contacts me and she says, hey, do you have any pictures from the wedding? Because none of them turned out from the main photographer. I don't know what happened. I didn't ask. But they were either all terrible or maybe they all got destroyed. I don't know what it was. But basically, my photos are now her wedding photos. Wow. Well, at least you didn't have the weight on your shoulders on the day of the wedding. You thought you were just shooting some extra photos. Not exactly. That you were the person documenting the event. Exactly. And the photos that I had were perfectly lovely, and they were happy to have them. But they weren't the more formal wedding photos with a capital W and a capital P. Yes, with those, with those required poses and pictures with the, yeah. the sunlight coming between the, the bride and groom as they kiss or the close-up <laughs> on the rings and all those things. Yeah. I have a huge amount of respect for people who shoot weddings, especially after I did this conference, yeah. just because – there's so much to it and there's so much pressure. And the people who do it, like the woman who shot my wedding, she was fantastic. And some people can just do it and they're great at it. And this is also why for people who are getting married, this is why wedding photographers cost more than you think they will. Because if if you get a good wedding photographer, you're going to have pictures you're going to love forever. If you get your cousin, eh. My partner's daughter got married last year, and she was surprised how much the daughter was spending on a photographer. And I said, you know, it's not that much when you think about how much work there is, how much uh, gear they have. It's actually two photographers came. Yes. Um, and when you're shooting a wedding, it's not just the gear that you need. You need to be there all the time. But it's also all the post-production work. You've got to go through oh, all yeah. those photos. You've got to choose 50 or 100, maybe make a book. Um, you've got to present them to people. It's a lot of work. You, you're, I would say that the wedding itself is probably less than half of the total work involved. And so, so what about for you? You shot thousands of photos, I think you told me, 3,500? I shot somewhere around 4,000 photos for the whole week. Right. Which I will say I probably overshot it. Because I would guess that, that a, an experienced event photographer probably has fewer than that because they're better at finding shots. Now, I wasn't just on my high-speed burst mode and just sort of spraying and praying, as they say. But I did have the lower-speed burst mode. And so I do have just a, a lot of shots. And there are a ton of shots that aren't ever going to be seen. I was going to ask you about that because um, when I shot those portraits of Michael Kenna in the gallery uh, a few weeks ago, I went on the slow burst mode. Was it three or four frames per second? Yeah. Um, because I've learned that when you go to take a picture of someone, you might catch them when they're blinking or when they're making a funny expression. So you ideally want to get a dozen shots in a row. So you're going to catch a couple that work out. 
And it's kind of funny when I look back at the photos, there was one point where he was talking to one of the people in the gallery. And so I shot about maybe a half a dozen photos and here he is talking, talking, talking. And all of a sudden looking at the camera and back to talking, talking, talking. Uh So yeah, you got to do burst mode. Another question. Did you use the electronic shutter or the mechanical shutter? I went ahead with the mechanical shutter because I wasn't ever like super close to all the attendings where the mechanical shutter would be much of a distraction, which I was really worried about the distraction factor. Because again, here are people who've paid a lot of money. They don't necessarily want to be looking at my back while I'm shooting the speakers. Yeah, but they expect there to be a photographer. Exactly. Something at that level. There is some sort of expectation. Well, and also I found that once I was sort of there and doing it, like I didn't try to sneak around very much. There are definitely times when I would go in front of where people were sitting so I could be between the audience and the speaker to get some good close-up pictures of the speaker. And also, on a couple of the days, there was a videographer working, and he would just be standing wherever he needed to be standing. And so people just sort of tune you out. Yeah, you're doing a job, and people expect it. That said, I also made sure I didn't just hang out in one spot. I moved around a lot, not just for a variety of pictures, but just to make sure that I wasn't blocking somebody. Just going back to the electronic mechanical shutter thing, DSLRs don't have this, do they? It's only mirrorless that have what's called an electronic shutter, whereas uh, since the shutter is technically always open, it can just read what's on the sensor. You get some issues if things are moving, and I think you get some issues if there's fluorescent lights flickering. Um, I used to use the electronic shutter until I read some stuff about it that it really doesn't help anything because I don't like the noise of the mechanical shutter. Mm -hmm. Um, depending on what you're shooting. Obviously, you were in an environment where it didn't matter. Um, But these are all considerations of what you're going to shoot, how you're going to shoot. You had big enough SD cards, you didn't have to worry about them getting full and having to reload them. Right. So one of the challenges of an event like this is you're not just documenting like a photojournalist. You have to get the people with the right expression. So you talked about burst mode, but when you're aiming your camera at a speaker and their mouth is moving... How hard is it to get a good expression instead of them looking like they're surprised? It is very hard. And and I think actually shooting in burst mode was really the key. There are some speakers who were more expressive. And so those were a lot easier when they're, they're moving around, they're moving their hands, they're just being more visually engaging. So that was great. And there are some speakers, they basically just stood at the podium and just worked on their laptop and would occasionally look up and speak. So sometimes you didn't have like a real interesting composition there. You just kind of had to try something something, else. Yeah. 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 And, you know, there were times when I would definitely like maybe move off to the side so that I could frame them against the, the screen, even though oftentimes the screen would be so much brighter, it would mostly just be blown out, but you sort of get the person edged a little bit in silhouette. Artistic photos. Artistic photos, yes. Fine art conference photography. (laughs) (laughs) My pretentious (laughs) event photography. Were there there any surprises? Once you got into the groove, right? You said after the first day you were comfortable. Yeah. Was it, did it just become a job? It sort of did, yeah. I mean... Part of doing an event like this is you try to do as much preparation as you can. So, for example, uh, the the company that hired me, they had a shot list. They wanted to make sure that all or most of the speakers we had a picture of, and they wanted shots of people uh, eating lunch or breakfast, 
uh, which is very hard yeah, to very get pictures hard, yes. of people who are eating. So <laughs> better to stick with here's a large group at all these tables and look at them interacting and talking among yes. each other. There happens yeah. to be food. Yes. Um, they wanted shots of some of the events that were going on outside of it. There were like some sort of mingling um, parties. And so this year was the 20th anniversary of Adobe InDesign. So they had a bunch of Adobe engineers come and do a panel. And so aside from those sorts of things, you definitely get into the groove of, okay, there's somebody up and they're speaking in front of people. How can I make sure that I get a portrait shot, a landscape orientation shot? And then what more can I do that's interesting? And I found, I think, in terms of surprises, the thing that I enjoyed doing the most was getting reactions from the crowd. And some of that was difficult because, you know, you've been to conferences. Sometimes, sometimes they can be really boring. Sometimes they can be really boring. Or This isn't like Tim Cook announcing a new Apple product. <laughs> right, exactly. Or you're shooting the session after lunch. Everybody's tired yeah. after lunch, you know. And so trying to figure that out. There were a few speakers who were very funny and engaging, and so I knew that when they were speaking, that would be a good session to get audience reactions because people would be laughing and, and applauding. And so planning ahead for things like that made a big difference, and at least based on some of the feedback that I got from some of the attendees and, and from the people who were running the event, those were some of the pictures that they liked the most. And the organizers want that sort of B-roll because they can put that in their advertising material for next year to show how much people enjoyed the conference. Because these conferences aren't just imparting wisdom, they are providing enjoyment. Well, and in fact, um, I probably should have pointed this out earlier, my main reason for being there, although it was nice to have highlights that they could share on social media every day, the main reason for me to do this was so that they would have a library of images that they can use to advertise the next events. Well, that's exactly what I thought. I didn't realize that you were also Instagramming this as you went on. Oh, yeah. I wasn't. There was a, a company that was doing the marketing, and they were, right. they were pushing things out. Yeah, it would seem to me natural that they want a huge, a vast number of photos of the given year to promote the following year. And also because some of the speakers may want to have photos of themselves. That, that Absolutely. might be the kind of thing that the, the organizers give to them. Yeah, definitely. So with that experience, you went on to do yet another event. And <laughs> this one was a bit smaller, a bit more discreet. Um, I was actually surprised to learn that your daughter graduated from school. Yes. Yeah, so here in Seattle, and I'm sure elsewhere, maybe this is just a U.S. thing. But uh, my daughter graduated from fifth grade. Whoa. And next year, she goes into middle school. Whoa. Now, now, when I was a kid, you just went from grade school to middle school, and it wasn't a, really a big deal. But Yeah, I and guess... for me, I went from grade school to high school. I raised my son in France, and when he went from one school to another, it was just like, as the French would say, boof, just going to the next <laughs> school. There wasn't any kind of – it wasn't even a party. Yeah. My daughter's school, they put on a big graduation. And so because I had a camera, I went ahead and, and shot that too. Did they ask you to or was this just you being a pushy parent? This was just me being a pushy parent. In fact, okay. the same week that the conference was happening, my daughter also had a choir performance, her, her last school choir performance. And I went from downtown to her performance and – I asked my wife to bring my tripod, so so she did. And so I set up the tripod so I could record video, and she texts me while I'm setting up, and, and she's like, are, are you shooting video or are you shooting stills? And I was like, well, I, 
I was just going to shoot video. And then I remembered, wait a minute, I've got two bodies and two really great lenses here. So um, I was that guy moving around the room. I was basically, you know, doing event shooting for my daughter's concert as well. This is turning into an addiction, Jeff. It, it sort of is. But, you know, at the same time, like, like I had the stuff there. I was already in the mindset to do it. Uh, I might as well. Well, now you've got a lot of stuff to put in a portfolio on your website advertising your services as an event photographer. But don't do weddings. No, 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 no weddings. Just can't. Can't. It's too much. Yeah, too much of a headache. Also, at weddings, there's a lot of alcohol consumed, and it probably gets a little bit difficult as the evening goes on. I would imagine. Yeah. Okay. Okay. This was interesting. Um, I'm never going to shoot an event. Um, (laughs) I, I have absolutely no patience for that sort of thing. Let's move on to snapshots. What have you got this week? So my snapshot is going to be something related to this. Uh, I just kind of want to do a shout out to uh, borrowlenses.com, which is where I rented the gear. So we've talked about this in the past that if you're looking to try something new, try out a new camera, try a new lens, it's often a good idea to rent something for much less than it would cost to buy it. And in this case, renting these lenses and the camera body, it was not inexpensive. I mean, it probably ended up costing me about $300 or so. However... I found them to be invaluable for this particular case. So I've ran it from borrow lenses before. What you do is you order something, they ship it to you, and at a certain after a certain amount of time, you ship it back. You make sure everything's in good condition. It's basically very, very stress-free. I had to send back the equipment the last day of the conference. So I actually packed it up at the conference and then walked downtown Seattle to go find a UPS store to drop it off at. So, you know, it's it's really easy and also a good way to be able to try things out or in this case, use equipment that I don't own and I don't shoot enough to justify purchasing these lenses yet. yet. Borrowlenses.com. When you do your photo event next year in Italy, which you haven't spoken about yet, but of course it's sold out, you might want to have some good long lenses like that. Yes. I've uh, rented lenses before. Um, when I did a, a photo workshop in the Palouse area of eastern Washington, I rented a, a 100 to 400 zoom lens, which was great for shooting some of the landscapes. So I rent gear on a fairly regular basis for things like that. Well, here's a tip. When you go to Italy, rent your lens in Italy. Plan ahead. Find some place where you can get a lens in Italy so you don't have to take it with you. Worry about potential customs issues. Oh, right, right. Good to know. Thank you. See? So, Kirk, what about you for snapshots this week? Well, I got a couple of interesting new photo books uh, recently, and I was going to choose them. But instead, I came across something today that I want to mention. It's a little Mac app called Flotato. Flotato. Like potato, except with an FL. You're scaring me. (laughs) And what it does is it creates mini apps for web services. So you open the app and it gives you a list of the different apps. And you can choose like the BBC Radio and Facebook and Google Analytics and Google Messages and NPR and Netflix and all that. And I chose Instagram because you don't get the same features with Instagram on a Mac in a browser as you do on an iPhone. You don't get the same features in an iPad as you do on an iPhone. Now, what I do is if I want to post on Instagram for my Mac, I turn on the develop menu in Safari and change the user agent so the browser is telling uh, the website that it's an iPhone. But with this, you get a little app 
uh, it saves it as an app called Instagram in your applications folders. You open it. It's just like looking at it in the iPhone. It has the same features as the iPhone. And that way, instead of opening a web browser page or tab for Instagram, I can just open this little app, close it when I'm furnished, upload files, do everything that I would do. It seems to also inherit my browser's ad blocking because when I tried it out, I only discovered this an hour before the show. When I tried it out, there were no ads in it. So I'm really happy about this. And as I said, it covers all sorts of things. It's Wikipedia, Twitter, Slack. Um, if you use any of these, it might be easier to make individual apps than browser tabs. That sounds fascinating. The, the Instagram thing especially, because I've been doing the same thing that you do. However, uh, some of the features even there don't show up in Instagram. Right. Like, you can't edit a post. You can't delete a post. You, still you can't have to go do back multiple to the iPhone. shots. Yeah. Yeah. So it's called Flotato. It's free. Download it for the Mac. Oh, wait, wait. It says buy. Hold on. It says free. But if you want to support us and run a lot of Flotato apps at the same time, you can grab Flotato Pro for the price of a round of drinks for the team, which is, I'm clicking the link. It says it is 15 bucks. Oh, Fair enough. Okay. Okay, but you can try it out with Instagram, and if you like it, and if you need Slack and Google Docs and everything else, do that. Cool. Okay, until next time. Cheerio. Cheerio. Thanks for listening to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Photoactive Cast. That's Photoactive Cast in one word. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review in iTunes or in your podcast app.